That's far enough. Drop your laundry and turn slowly. So you gonna rob me now? I need to remind you who I am. Omar, isn't it? Pull it slowly, then toss it. Oh, I will move slow. I ain't tossing nothing, bow tie. So whatever you're gonna do, you might as well go ahead and make it quick. I knew you'd come back. I trust you didn't lose sleep over it. Worrying about you be like wondering if the sun gonna come up. Ain't about to wild out over it. What I wanna know is how you find me. Your boy, he didn't give you up easy. Ain't no sugar water running through them veins. You kill him. He's resting. I see you favor a 45. Tonight I do. I keeps one in the chamber in case you ponder it. Nice showpiece you got there. Walther, PPK, 380, double action. Hit them Walters like to jump some. As will you, with one in your elbow. That gun ain't got enough firepower to make my joint useless. It definitely won't stop me from emptying out half my mag. You might not hit me. This range? And this caliber? Even if I miss, I can't miss. I admire a man with confidence. I don't see no sweat in your brow neither, bruh. I suppose we could stand here all night. Suppose we could. Or settle this once and forever. I want to ask you something, brother. Omar listening. God, if your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would always you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? You think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? Suck my fat one, you cheap dime store hood. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of the greatest moments in the history of forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 123, The Wire, season three, episode 11, Middle Ground. Possibly my favorite show of all time, certainly a top five for me. I think I've watched the show now four times all the way through. I just finished it again recently, so I'm pretty much ready to do this episode whenever. This has been one that I've just been like... Yeah, just say The Wire anytime and I'll show up and do it. For sure, this has been one that we have had in the back of our minds for a long time, really. It's yeah, always oh, been like on the, the list. From the beginning, we knew we would do it, yeah. Eventually, we would get to it. Sometimes tackling these classic television shows that everyone holds in such high regard, it, it can be kind of daunting because you're like, how do you jump in? What episode do you do? How do you explain the whole show? Oh, right, how do you tackle it? On a show like this where it's like when you explain it to people, you're basically like, this is a show where every moment matters. Every little thing seemingly ties into something else. And even if it's just like throwaway things, like every little 
interaction and scene means something and has some significance. And just the idea, I think to appropriately do the episode, you have to kind of get into that headspace of watching the whole thing. So in preparation for this, I watched all of season three, all of season four, into season five a little Uh, bit. Season three and season four, probably like my two favorite seasons of any show, maybe. I I love season three and season four of The Wire. I think season three is the best of this series. I, I maybe would put one above four but that's close for me two and five kind of take a backseat to everything else yeah and if you're familiar with the wire you would understand for people not familiar they're like why is two so bad well season two is kind of famous for how it is i guess or infamous it's such a departure from what you see in season one that it's kind of shocking the first time you go through (laughs) it right but if you are out there for some reason and you're going to listen to this, even though it's going to be obviously a major spoiler, spoiler city, yeah. not just for the episode we're doing or not just season three. I mean, I think all bets are off. I think spoilers are on the table for everything. This but might be this episode might have like the second biggest spoiler moment of the whole show. Um, I, I always feel like the I thing in season biggest. five with Omar. Yeah, but I still think this is bigger. Think, OK. All right. Because yeah. By that point, you're almost like ready you're, for something. Anything's like that. gonna happen. Anything can happen at this, that point. Yeah, yeah, when I was the first time going through this season, this particular episode, I was kind of stunned by it it's because this predates Game of Thrones, which right. became much more Game of Thrones for is doing the new the, same the Wire. Yeah. yeah, obviously the setting is much different and the stakes seem different, but it's kind of the same ideas. Well, in it's Game funny, of yeah, Thrones I know you, you bring it up, wire. and it's like I remember reading like an article when Game of Thrones was first coming out and. Those creator dudes said that their pitch to HBO was it's like The Sopranos meets Lord of the Rings or whatever. And I remember after I watched the first season thinking like, it's more like The Wire meets Lord of the Rings because like The Wire, it's like the different perspectives. Right. You're kind of buying into like different characters. So many characters. Right. And all the politicking behind the scenes. Yeah. I think from a pitch perspective, though, they went for the more popular yeah. ratings But it's wise. like, you know, The Wire, basically, there's like a four episode stretch in season four where McNulty by all intents and purposes like seemingly the show's main character isn't in it you can't really yeah. imagine like the sopranos having like a stretch where like tony's not in it because even the episodes where he's right. in the coma he's still the main character yeah there is really no main character of the wire and i think like game of thrones it does a good job of making everybody seem good and bad Right. It's a little different because it's the real world and you understand that there are criminals and you understand that the criminals are always bad. But the, the police, It shows you the full yeah, side of everybody. The police in The Wire aren't necessarily the greatest people. No. <laughs> no, and maybe that goes back to what we talked about in the True Detective thing where you need people that aren't great right. to be able to stop the people that are worse. Yes. You know, but before we get too lost in the weeds... Let's remind our listeners to follow the show on Twitter at Creatives Pod and subscribe on iTunes. And I think since this is our first episode of 2019, it might be a good time to give all of the ass clowns a New Year's resolution. And that yeah. would be tell one person Come on. to start listening to this podcast. <laughs> Get one new listener. Give back a little bit in 2019. That should <laughs> if be everybody everyone's goal. hearing my voice right now got one new person to listen, we'd we would double be in great our shape. <laughs> we'd be in great shape for 2019. That's right. I mean, folks, we're putting in a lot of time and effort here. That's right. <laughs> and we are never going to ask for money. We're never going to ask for anything except your continued support. Subscription. And maybe a little bit 
of word of mouth if you can. Yeah, come on. Invite anyway. others to join the greater Ass Clown community, you know? The greater Ass Clown community. That's right. <laughs> the G-A-C-C. Yeah. <laughs> the GAC. So, okay, where to begin with The Well, wire? this is, yeah, it's hard to find. When did you point. start watching it? I watched the series through the entire way in probably 2008. When did it was the, over, for sure. I actually watched the first four seasons before season five aired. Oh, wow, okay. And then season five started, and a friend of mine told me that season five sucked, and he kind of spoiled some of the big spoilers of season five. Oh, wow. And I kind of avoided it for a while. And then another friend of mine got into The Wire, and I rewatched it with him. And then we, when we got to five, that was my first time seeing yeah. it. So I actually watched one through four twice okay. before ever seeing five. Yeah, I watched the whole series on Netflix discs the original time. Me too, yeah. the first four seasons. Right. As I did with The Sopranos and Twin Peaks and a lot of things. So there you go. I've been involved with Netflix for a long time, way right. predating the streaming service. Hey, same. I, I remember I I was on the discs when they first came out with the original version of the streaming service, and I was like, what is this? I was streaming <laughs> stuff like on my laptop. I think I was watching episodes of Lost on my laptop. Well, you didn't know it, but the future was That's right, right there. Yeah. The Wire, what, what, it ran 2002, 2003, 2004, and then it was like six and then eight, I think. It skipped oh, okay. a year for the wow. last two seasons. Yeah, maybe I, maybe I didn't start until 2009 because I want to say it was all the way over by the time I started it. Yeah, I don't know, but I think that's how it went. So I think I must have watched it mostly in 2007 or early 2008 or something, and then it ended that year too. Yeah, it mostly went under the radar. It didn't get high ratings at all. It barely was nominated for any awards, although critically it was loved, but with TV it's different than movies. At TV yeah, yeah. you need to have an audience to get awards most of the time. I still feel like you do buy feel them like, like Amazon. Yeah, it's certainly a show that got its sort of fame it it feels like after it was over. I just feel like Yeah, I mean it, the way that I really even got into it was just like I would hear people talk about it on podcasts all the time and reference it as this great show. Even then, even at that point, I feel like those people that I would listen to had just watched it. They never watched it live. Yeah, it definitely was word of mouth, but it was very slow going because there weren't that many people there from the beginning. And I do have the feeling that HBO stuck with it for five seasons well, because they knew it was good. That's the crazy part about it, right? It doesn't feel like that many people watched it, but it got five seasons. Yeah, I think they understood that it was really good, and it probably wasn't super expensive, like nowhere near as the kind of investment they would put into like Game of Thrones oh, true, or something yeah. like that. So, well, and I'm sure like even like the later seasons of like Sopranos, how much they were paying like those cast members. I'm sure like no one on The Wire was pulling in any kind of serious dough for this show. And sometimes it's just as simple as like there's a a big fan of it high up. Well, that's true. You know what that's I mean? Enough, like yeah. even they're like. Yeah, it's borderline cancelable, but we're going to stick with it because I like it. Right, or and HBO <laughs> has historically given shows more of a chance or a longer run than it really would have gotten anywhere else. Like Girls. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> a show that no but one even watched. Like, I, I feel like with um, HBO, it's like shows that no one watches at least get a second season. A lot of the time, yeah, Until because they to try like, to use that renewal as like a way to, a, to yeah, get people interested. Right, which it didn't work for vinyl. <laughs> Yeah, or luck. Right. So, you know, <laughs> although there, I think they canceled that because of the horse deaths. Oh, no. <laughs> okay, so season three of the show. I mean, 
we're not going to be able to explain everything. So if you haven't seen the show, I mean, this might not be the best thing to listen to because we're not going to go through and explain everything. If you're interested in watching The Wire at all, you should not listen to this, really. Right, yeah. I would say check it out first and maybe come back to this one down the line. If you get access to it through HBO or through the Blu-rays or whatever, it doesn't take a long time, even though they're an hour episodes. I blew through seasons three and four like it was nothing. Oh, yeah, right. (laughs) Watching it through this most recent time, kind of took time with it, watching episodes sporadically. But once, you know, hit late season three into season four, just could not stop watching episodes. Do you prefer season two or season five? I think overall, I think season two overall, I prefer more. But there's definitely parts of season five. I mean, all of the gangster street stuff with marlo and his crew and omar i like that stuff in season five like way more than like the crime element of season two right but i don't know season two the first time i ever watched the show really like took me out of it i couldn't figure out like what was going on and i really didn't care about it but like every time that i've watched it since the first go around i haven't really had like an issue with it i've been like fine with it yeah plus amy ryan is in it that's true yeah I think that's the first place I ever saw Amy Ryan, and then she... I think, like, season two is so off-putting because those dudes that work at the docks are just, like, so unbearable. (laughs) But, like, you know, the other storylines going on, like, aren't that bad. It's a necessary evil, though. It's just, like, when you're watching it and you don't know a ton about the show and you don't understand what they're doing... And where this is all going. Yeah, you're kind of thrown for a loop that you just are shocked by. Introducing, like, these other parts of town for the first time and, like, these other offices and how they interact, both, like, at the police level, politically. And it's kind of like your first glimpse at, like, other areas that you didn't really look at before. And you don't really know at that time, but that's like going to continue to go on. Yeah, it's kind of a gutsy move, but it's understandable because of how season one ends. It, it is kind of like, well, what do you do for season two? So oh, right. it kind of spins into a whole new thing, but it's gutsy because I would say seasons three and four definitely vibe more with season one. Oh, so for it's sure, like yeah. season two is this like weird, odd thing. And but then it does once you get through it though, then you're like, oh okay. And then season it does three and all... four return back to Right. But then also season five does tie back into season two. Yeah. You know, well they all, the all tie together, and... right. but you don't know that as you're watching it yeah. in order. You're but just it... kinda like, what is After this? After you finish season two, you kind of feel like, what was that whole thing with like the Greeks? And it leaves you kind of feeling like it felt like there was something more there. But then they, that's like almost never revisited for like the next two seasons. Yeah. And then it all comes back in for the fifth. Yeah. Okay. So season three of The Wire deals with the rise of Marlo Stanfield, kind of the new drug kingpin in Baltimore, West Baltimore. Or the rising one, I guess. Yeah. Because of what happened in season one, which was. Avon Barksdale, the previous kingpin, going to jail. It kind of leaves this void, which he starts to fill. Avon's partner, Stringer Bell, season three is kind of his ongoing pursuit of legitimacy beyond the drug world. He kind of right. wants to take it to some other level where they're no longer in the criminal realm. There's actually like a great scene at the beginning of season three which is like clearly foreshadowing, but it's the project towers are being like demolished, which Mm -hmm. is like very symbolic of Avon and Stringer's empire. Right. Because they kind of built it on selling drugs in those towers. Yes. And they're being taken down and now everything's just going to like the street corners as far as selling drugs goes. Right. Just the first sight of, okay, there's a change coming. 
Avon, I would say like what, midway through season three, gets released from prison. Yeah. And he immediately starts up a war with Marlo, who he sees as his competition. Whereas Stringer, who was running the show while Avon was in prison, was not interested in warring for corners. Right. He's the one that kind of got involved with this co-op with Prop Joe, which was like which the is, East Baltimore guy. There's two big secrets, really, between Avon and Stringer. Stringer has been working with Prop Joe, who was previously like their rival. Right. And that would never sit with Avon. So Stringer is kind of doing that in secret. And then like the other big secret, which is revealed during this season, is Stringer had Avon's nephew killed. Yes. So like, there's two kind of things that start to lead to the disintegration of their relationship. Yeah, and basically Avon, newly released from prison, is co- in complete opposition to Stringer's vision of legitimacy. Oh, right. like, yeah. He puts way more value on his name ringing out right. <laughs> in yeah. West Baltimore and having these corners that Marlowe has acquired. and He doesn't want to be seen as a chump compared to Marlowe. Yeah, as that's um, happening, Bunny in, Colvin starts... Oh, yeah. Amsterdam slash Hamsterdam. I don't. What we probably will alternate as to I think what we're calling it. Should go it. with Hamsterdam. Yeah. Well, really, I think it's just the one kid mispronounces it at one point. I I don't know if we really have time to explain all of That's that. True. But basically, so they, that happens. They legalize drugs and selling drugs in certain sectors of abandoned housing areas in West Baltimore in order to push all of the drug trafficking away from the highly populated corners. To and take kind of away spare... the violence over fighting over these corners. Yeah, and it spares the regular people living their day-to-day lives in those areas from having to deal with this. Also going on is Carchetti's mayoral run. What's his first name? Is it Tony? Tommy. Tommy. Tommy Carchetti, played Lord by Baelish. Aiden G- Gillen. Yeah, from <laughs> Baelish. Game of Thrones. From Game of Thrones, Littlefinger. He's seeking to be a white mayor in Baltimore, which is kind of unheard of. Then we also have Cuddy, who was somebody who was in prison with Avon, who was a former guy was in the West Baltimore War. in the drug trade, but kind of looking to change his ways. Well, he's been in prison for 14 years, which right. is a long time. And so when he gets out, it's kind of like a whole new world. And at first he tries to get back in with it, and then he realizes that it's not in him anymore. Yeah, yeah. And so he goes about opening a boxing gym for some of the local youths. Trying to be like a role model for them and steer them away from the drug game. And plus it kind of coincides with Colvin's Hamsterdam, which kind of put a lot of those kids out of business because the street dealers didn't really need all of these employees because they didn't, you know what I mean? There wasn't need for like lookouts and Well, that's something that I didn't really pay attention to the first time I ever watched the show. It is like these kids that are going to his gym are some of the same kids that are selling drugs in Amsterdam. Yeah. Or were like selling drugs for Marlowe and then... Yeah. Like, and then they, they weren't needed anymore. Right. And they kind of go back and forth actually, like yes. the rest of the show. All of this is happening while the major crimes unit, which is like McNulty and Freeman and... All those people, they are trying to get back up on the burners once again to get on Barksdale's people. Because I think at this point, they haven't fully understood how much Marlowe has taken over. Right. Because they're still stuck. I mean, McNulty and Freeman definitely have like a personal vendetta. Yeah, I I didn't want to say vendetta. They are just so upset that they did not get Stringer whenever they arrested Avon. And plus, they didn't even realize that Avon was released from prison until like Herc or somebody just mentions it to him. They're like, what? Oh yeah. So they have this personal stake in it. And also this becomes a major storyline in season four. Marlo is not really a target at this time because 
they don't think that he's killing anybody. Oh, right, yeah. There's no dead bodies. There's no murders, so Which, he's not, yeah, he hasn't become his whole target. That basically ends up being a storyline for the rest of the show. Right, yeah, what actually is going on with Marlowe's right. people. That's a whole other thing. Okay, so now we can get into the episode Middle Ground, which is usually regarded as one of the best episodes, if not the best episode of the series. It's the highest rated yeah. on IMDb, it is, for example. It's funny, like... And it also was the show's first Emmy nomination, which it didn't win, but it actually finally got nominated oh, for wow. something okay, for yeah. this episode. You know, I, I've mentioned this before, I think, on this show even, like, but it, this is one of the reasons that I love this show so much is... When it first starts off, I'm I'm really invested in like the the cop angle of it, and as you go on, you get more invested on like Avon and Stringer's regime and the other characters throughout the show. But the, by the time you're in season three, I'm like such a fan of Avon and Stringer and everything that's going on with them that when this Marlowe dude shows up, I find myself rooting against him so much, you know. Right. Yeah. But as the show goes on, like you know, or the many times I've watched it, I'm so into Marlowe and his whole crew too. Yeah, I think Marlowe as a character is less interesting than avon or stringer well that's but he's certainly like colder his crew becomes more interesting over time right especially chris and snoop yeah you get to spend more time with them than you do a lot of like the lower barksdale people outside of like a Bodie. and marlo himself kind of never really says or does very much so he's kind of a a blank slate yeah and kind of project he's basically just like a more ruthless version of avon and the one thing that they never get into, at least as far as I can tell, I may, you know, sometimes you miss things, but like, I never really was clear on where Marlo comes from and how he gets, because it's almost like when he first emerges, he already has people working for him. Well, it's like, where does that money he come He has from? like, the. I think one of the things that's not explained either is like, he has a separate drug connection. Cause Avon, At first, yeah, but it's not as good as Right, but Avon gets Prop it Joe. from New York. Right. And Prop Joe gets it from these Greek people, but you don't know what Marlowe's connection is. Yeah, I, you don't know anything about his anything backstory and his like kind of quiet rise. When he moves in, it's kind of like he already has all these people in place. I guess the idea is he had an independent operation and just started taking over corners. Yeah. Middle Ground aired on December 12th, 2004, which is fucking crazy. That's over 14 years ago now. <laughs> How does this that make show you never, feel? It, it's weird. The technology in this show is insanely dated. Well, that's Even true. when I watched the show in 2007, oh, right. the You're stuff in season like, one, I was like, holy all shit. All these like, track phones and stuff. Well, in season one, it's like beepers and yeah, shit. Yeah, that's You're true. You're like, holy fuck. They're using beepers and pay phones, yeah. Yeah, so like even by the time I started watching it in like 07, I was like, holy shit, what the fuck? But like, it's funny, even though the technology is very dated, the show itself never really feels dated to I me. I agree, the rest of it doesn't, ex- with the exception of like all the the way they use communications and everything, outside of that, pretty much everything else feels like it takes place now. Yeah, and I think that's the sign of something being quality, is that like it, the details never really matter. Like The right. technology doesn't matter, it's like the... Sh- it still feels very of the moment. I actually think, even though it's such a big part of it, the least interesting part to me about every season's story is, like, how they eventually catch the people. Like, there's a lot of buildup into, like, figuring out methods and cracking codes and getting wiretaps. But whenever they figure it out in each season, that piece of it always happens so fast. Even in this episode. Yeah. You spend this whole season, like, trying to figure something out, and then it's like, it all happens in a matter of minutes on the show, it seems like. So the teleplay was written by George P. Pelicanos, who is a famous crime writer, crime fiction. They got a lot of like 
beyond just David Simon and right. who was the other guy? Ed Burns. Ed Burns. Be- beyond just those two, they got involved with a lot of crime fiction writers. Like oh, that's cool, yeah. Dem- Dennis Lehane, who wrote like Mystic River and Shutter oh, did Island. Oh, write those. episodes? Yeah, he wrote a bunch of the episodes, and he's in this episode. Oh, okay. He's the guy in the uh, equipment place looking at that Irish lasses oh, yeah. nudie mag. <laughs> that's Dennis Lehane, who oh, wrote funny. like a lot of things that became big movies. Yeah, it's cool. I mean, they have like an interesting and Pelicanos is another one. And I forget the uh, there's a mix third of one. writers and directors for this show. That I mean, some names I recognize, a lot I don't. Joe Chappelle has uh, directed a lot of stuff. Most of it is not that great. Right. I would say that The Wire is probably his crowning achievement being involved with it because he directed a lot of episodes yeah, of yeah. The Wire. There are a lot of people involved with the show, but yeah, I mean, Simon and Burns were like the two main guys, but they got involved with a lot of other guys that all kind of came together and put together like this really. By the way, should we point it out? Crazy Ed, Ed thing. Burns, like a former Baltimore detective yeah, not the actor or whatever. Ed yeah, that, when the show first came out, I thought this was like. In Edward Burns producer. Oh, yeah, yeah. I thought that, too. Okay, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because he, he does write and direct movies. Right, yeah. I mean, yeah, like, so the Brothers the McMullen and all that shit. Yeah, like, and, like, when I first was going to watch this, I was like, wow, Edward Burns, this guy that I know from all these movies, that's crazy that, like, he created this, like, critically acclaimed show, too. <laughs> As with every episode of The Wire, we start with a cold open. Omar, everybody's favorite character, basically. That's right, yeah. He's whistling a hunting we will go, which is like his thing. Although I'm not really sure. Usually when he does that in the shows, he's on the prowl to like rob somebody or something. I'm not really sure what he's doing in this moment, but he is whistling the song. Yeah, I mean, usually it's followed by like kids running away yelling Omar coming. But (laughs) At the end of episode 10, right before this, Brother Muzone had returned to Baltimore on a mission of revenge to find Omar because Omar had shot him, what, in season one? Uh, it's season two. Season two? Okay. I yeah. could not remember His, exactly. The whole backstory with him happens when Avon is originally in jail and Stringer's running things, and Stringer makes this deal with Prop Joe that they're going to use his product and sell it. Right. Okay. But avon deals with these new york people that's who they get their product from yes and avon has this deal with them he's the connection to these new york people and brother mazone is part of that new york organization so brother mazone comes down under the guise of avon's instructions are hey take out prop joe's people which puts stringer in a bind because he's letting prop joe's people deal at the towers okay so that's where everything gets and so that's why stringer Sets it up so that Omar goes after Brother Muzone because Omar, who was gay, his boyfriend is like tortured and killed by Stringer's people. Stringer's people, but Stringer blames it on Brother, Brother Muzone. Okay. Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, the character of Brother Muzone, it's like, I would hope that he's based off of a real guy because it's so crazy. He's so it like does, the non-traditional. There are a shocking amount of these characters that are based off real people. Right. And then when you get to like a Felicia Snoop Pearson and she just is a real person. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, but I looked it up. There's like Wikipedia entries for all of the individual characters. And, you know, when you look up Omar, you see like the five guys that he's based off. Right. Of, like real people. Yeah. And so you're like, okay. But when you look up Brother Muzone, it doesn't list anybody real. So I'm not really sure. I mean, he's obviously like a Nation of Islam guy with like the bow tie and he dresses in a suit and everything. There's a part where Muzone has like this little sidekick, Lamar or whatever. Yeah. And there's a part in the episode after this when Lamar is like with Omar's gay, I don't know if it's lover. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Slash sidekick. 
and L- Lamar kind of makes a comment of like gay ass gangsters please or whatever and i almost felt like it's kind of like a self-referential joke to like what brother mazon is because he's not gay but he's like, i don't know what a proper gangster i don't know what you would refer to it. he wears like suits and bow ties yeah and even beyond the suits and the bow ties and like the way he talks and acts it's like he's very he's portrayed as like this insanely intelligent like he reads all of these magazines that right, like right. smart people read and he is this whole kind of character and it's like well why is he this hired assassin basically for like the drug trade it's kind of a crazy profession if you're like that smart or whatever but i don't know you kind of just go with it so at the end of episode 10 brother muzone and his guy lamar they snatched dante which is like omar's new boy and changes throughout the show whoever omar's like boy well he has this he has one in season one and then seasons two and three, and then guy, seasons and then season four and five. Four and five, he is a different guy, Ronaldo. Right. Yeah. So they snatch Dante. Then this leads to this standoff now as Omar's walking alone, and then Brother Mazone shows up. And Omar, he's like, I knew you'd be back. And it's kind of written as this Western-style scene, this standoff between two... Right mythical figures of the wire like the and two craziest figures they could come up with right right yeah and so this is like a lot of people feel based in moment. reality with the exception of these two yeah i mean i think omar you kind of learn to accept as kind of an amalgamation of all of these stick-up boys that existed through the 80s and 90s right. that he's based on i don't know maybe one of them was gay i don't really know where that part of it comes yeah, from. yeah i i did think that that was based in reality but i, I don't know maybe maybe one of them i'm not yeah. sure and this is where he says the famous line i keep one in the chamber in case you ponder and which is a line Quoted that the in. guy that plays Clay <laughs> Davis says in Cedar Rapids, How which is another is gonna get? movie that we did on this podcast, which Clay Davis doesn't actually appear in this episode, but he features prominently in seasons three. Well, yeah, and he feature- he does feature in the conversations in this episode. Right, right, right. And, man, I just love that character. Clay Davis is not my favorite character from The Wire, but he's definitely like in the top five. Yeah, and certainly <laughs> one of the most like memorable from it. <laughs> And it's so funny. See, I, I wish I, I had that guy's name handy. I'm not going to grab my phone, but it's so funny seeing him in Cedar Rapids play like just this completely different Straight guy. guy, yeah. That, like, because Clay Davis is so over the top and such a heel. Well, it, it's one of the most insane things when they finally are like taking him to trial and then he like does this whole spectacle in front of like the grand jury and like gives this whole speech about like. Yeah, I'm taking money, but I'm investing it in the poor areas and everything. And like he somehow gets off these charges. Like it's the craziest thing ever. <laughs> One of the funny things of season three is like you have these hardened street gangster types like Stringer and whoever and all of the people in the drug organization. And it's like compared to like a true snake oil salesman oh, yeah. like clay davis is like they're not even in the same class right and in he's terms like of scumbag i mean and like he's barely got any heat on him you know <laughs> like there's some people that are interested but it's like there's no like wiretap cases going on for clay davis yeah which is kind of an underlying point of the whole show is like these kind of politician types the real criminals kind of let off the hook because no one wants to deal with all the drama and bullshit that's going to come with going after and they can pull so many strings yeah okay so we're in this standoff with brother and omar yeah and even though brother muzone kind of has the drop on him he doesn't really he kind of lets omar get his gun out and they're kind of pointing their guns at each other everything was left weird from their last interaction because omar could have killed him and didn't 
Right. Because so, he realized something he realizes was off about that it. Stringer was lying. So he's been out for Stringer for a while, and things have escalated because of the attack on Omar, which was when he was accompanying his grandmother to church on a Sunday morning. Which, for which anyone is, knows the rules of the game, the Sunday morning truce been around as long as the game itself. Plus... I mean, you know, an old lady. Oh, right, I love yeah. whenever Slim Charles is like yelling at those two dudes. And Slim like, Charles is a great character. Um, <laughs> he's good all the way. I mean, he doesn't. He's not in the early seasons. He comes in in season three, but he's he's good throughout. I guess the rest he's of the like a, a Washington D.C. guy, and he has like a radio show, uh, or at least he did. And he's oh, kind of okay. like this big character in Washington. It's important like- <laughs> to point out here is like this is like one of the major differences between like Avon and like what follows with Marlo is Avon super respects like this thing that they do the game it's broken and it's crime but it's like there's rules to it and there's like a code but Marlo no code well and it's interesting though because Stringer is the one that okays Oh, right, yeah. The hit on yeah, Omar on the Sunday morning. Stringer, no respect for the game. Yeah, because he's not playing the game. Right. He's trying to extricate himself from the game, and Omar is a legitimate thorn in the side of everyone and a threat, so he's and like, really who cares? Costing he's to money. get rid of him. Yeah. We get the opening credits after Omar's like, all right, I'm listening, when they realize that they might be on the same page here. And every episode of The Wire starts with a quote said by one of the characters, and this one is, we ain't got a dream no more, man, from Stringer Bell. And I'm just going to let that sit there for now, and we're going to circle back to the Yeah, quote that's a big later. scene. Probably going to skip some things in this episode. We're kind of going to jump through it, whatever. But I don't think we need to get into like all the political stuff that happened. Well, especially the stuff with the, like, the technology or whatever. But oh, right, yeah. There's an undercover scam by Freeman with the help of Bubbles, kind of the informant that Kima's been working with since the beginning of the show but that's right they get into this whole thing in working with major crimes unit to get the guy that gets the burner phones for the Barksdale people oh yeah and his very classy girlfriend <laughs> squeak yeah <laughs> yeah the whole thing with them buying the phones that they already had of Warren on to do a wiretap which is kind of a crazy idea oh, that's that right. they're going with yeah. but basically they're going to give them pre-approved phones that already have wiretaps on them rather than have them go to all the different gas stations from Baltimore way down to like Virginia yeah yeah or whatever and that's going to be used throughout the show because like the idea is like as you said we're kind of ramping up to the big moment where they can finally get Stringer oh that's right it's kind of funny because Barksdale does come out of prison and he kind of escalates this war with Marlo which leaves bodies in the street which is a big part of these later season three episodes Uh, where people just getting shot and yet the major crimes unit is kind of always one step behind so they're still like obsessed with getting stringer even though barksdale is out and barksdale is the one that's causing people to get murdered right yeah <laughs> so rawls and commissioner burrell are ready to shut down hamsterdam asap well now that people are like finding out about this i mean it's like fucking crazy yeah finally colvin has told everyone because the media was up on it other people were kind of complaining about it it was like it was going to be found out so he decides to come clean now, Rawls and Commissioner Burrell are like, we got to shut this down. But Mayor Royce, though, is considering his options. Kind of a crazy move. Well, there's been a 14% decrease in crime. And I guess like one of those guys that is actually in the room telling him, not the white guy, but the other 
black guy. He's okay. like he was a former mayor of Baltimore, and oh wow, he actually was for the decriminalization of drugs, which ruined his political <laughs> career. And it's <laughs> funny because he's supporting it in the show. Well, that's the thing. Well, first of all, a lot of the people that pop up on the show like aren't real actors, mm-hmm. but the, a lot of the ideas that happen are like recycled from stories that happen a lot in Baltimore. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting thing because you're kind of always seeing Royce almost in a negative light throughout the show. Well, yeah, you see like his fake dick at one point. (laughs) Yeah. But like you're kind of just seen as like he's straight up politician. He's not necessarily like a bad guy, but he's more concerned with public image than actual results or anything. And he's kind of just seen as always angling. But this is where you're actually like, he seems to be considering something that we as viewers see as a positive thing, whereas like the people on the show can't see the forest or the trees. We understand that Amsterdam is benefiting a lot of people, even if it seems crazy. Yes. I mean, there's definitely a lot of risk, and it would need to be way more regulated than what Colvin had set up. Oh, right. Which is basically just like a couple of street cops. Yeah, it can't be like a lawless free-for-all but the idea was showing actual positive results and yet everyone's just instantly against it right and they they talk about about how like people who live in these districts are like fine with it they're like happy with the decrease in crime and happy with from their perspective it was happening either way right like yeah the standard idea now it's not happening like right in front of their house yeah the like what was happening before which was like the standard drive up bust these corners up run all these kids off to jail yeah cycle repeat every day yeah like that wasn't really changing anything so if the western district way as they refer to it on the show if they were just gonna like do it anyway why not push it to these like non-populated areas where no one is especially like they run through this whole thing where like colvin has basically like he's kind of a defeated man going through these processes at the point where we meet him this season when he's starting to put all this in place he sits through these meetings with all these higher up police and they just like they kind of beat you down over not being able to juke the stats enough to make it better. It's a thankless job. The whole thing with this quote-unquote free zone becomes like a battle of who's going to be able to spin it to get the blame away from them between the commissioner of police, Burrell, and the mayor and his office and everybody involved, the politicians. Like, who is going to take the fall for this? Who's going to take the hit? <laughs> yeah, so Burrell- which is also something that a repeat theme in the show people angle yeah oh like, yeah definitely like a big theme of the trying wire to get is leverage the failure of institutions whether it's the school system in season four or politics in season three or whatever all of these different government institutions failing at the well, basic yeah. idea i mean irony is definitely a thing throughout i love that carchetti is running for mayor on the platform of crime and bringing crime down and they, the one dude he's running against, Tony Gray, is going on schools, which in education, which they kind of like scoff at a little bit, it seems like. And then, you know, when season five comes around, like all the stuff on crime gets abandoned because of the shit that happens with schools. Yeah, because they just, find out the school system so far in debt. Right. Burrell takes the free zone story to Carchetti, who then tells his campaign manager, D'Agostino, she wants Carchetti to meet with Colvin to hear his side. And so... It's basically just kind of passing around this story and different people finding out about it. We're going to circle back to that in a minute. As we mentioned, a lot of what's going on in season three is Stringer trying to become legitimate. He buys up all these properties under the business name B&B Enterprises, I think is what it's called. And he basically gets fucked out of a quarter million dollars by Clay Davis, who's just a a con artist. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 
he tells Stringer that they need money for this and that and bribing this and that and the other things. So Stringer is just hands him like a briefcase of money and is just like, okay. Yeah, he now <laughs> realizes that he's been had, and so he meets up with Levy, the a defense attorney kept on retainer by the Barksdale organization, and they discuss the lack of return Stringer's seeing from his contributions to Senator Davis. Levy informs him that he's been played, and he kind of refers to it as being rain-made. Oh, right, yeah. <laughs> you pay a rainmaker to make it rain. If and when it rains, the rainmaker takes all the credit. If it doesn't, then he comes up with a reason to give him more money. Yeah, and this part is really just kind of, like, humiliating for Bell. Yeah, because it shows that... I mean, I think Barksdale says it like, you're a businessman and you made a bad business decision or something. Yeah, he's in over his head, and he's in a world that he doesn't really understand. Right, right. And... People are taking advantage of him. So Stringer brings this rage to Slim Charles and tells him to kill Clay Davis. Yeah, which Avon basically just openly mocks him for this. Yeah, this is overheard by Avon. Both him and Slim are like, what the fuck? Yeah. They're like, we're not going to like do a political Assassinate, assassination. Man, right. say you want to see Avon. Making me wait to see my own partner. He knew, Stringer. Fuck that. A lot of new faces around here, man. Way too many, you ask me. Fuck out of here. Where are you going at? He'll be along shortly. That's good, because I came to see you anyway. What you need? I need you to hit somebody. Who we hit? Clay Davis. The Clay Davis? Downtown Clay Davis. That's supposed to mean something to me, man. That nigga need to be got. Shit, straight murder ain't no thing. But this here's some assassination nigga, shit. I told man. you, you getting somebody? You getting them? I ain't asking. Damn, string, I don't know. Nigga, I gotta remind her who the fuck you work for. Hey, uh, I think Slim gonna have to sit this one out, boss. So you finna go hit a state senator now, huh? Yo. You kill a downtown nigga like that, the whole world gonna stand up and take notice. I'm talking about the state police, federals, all of that. <laughs> you need a dead ejaculate type motherfucker basically to do some shit like that, not a rumble tumble nigga like Slim. That nigga took our money, man. I seen it coming. Well, <laughs> he gotta go. Ah, you a fucking businessman. You wanna handle it like that. You don't wanna get all gangster wild with it and shit, right? What I tell you about playing them fucking away games? Yeah. They saw your ghetto ass coming from miles away, nigga. You got a fucking beef with them? That shit is on you. Uh, I do love that, like, later on in this episode, kind of who becomes Stringer's kind of right-hand man, but also kind of secretary, that dude they call Shamrock. Right. When you hear him on the phone and he's like, those two hitters are good or whatever. So it's like, even after this conversation, it seems like Stringer oh, was yeah, yeah, still yeah. going for this. Yeah, we'll get to that. This whole interaction where he brings this to Slim Charles and then unbeknownst to Stringer, Avon's overhearing it and then they kind of call him out for being ridiculous. This kind <laughs> right. of calls into question Stringer's place in the organization now that Avon is out of prison well, like, I that's think, kind of been a building thing which is like he's been marginalized I feel like as viewers we always knew right it's always yeah. been the Avon show with Stringer as like the vice president yes and now that Avon is out and acting recklessly it's kind of this 
coming together like we're headed on a collision course between these two because Avon's doing everything that Stringer doesn't want him to do like getting involved in this war with Marlowe and beefing over corners or right, whatever yeah. and Stringer is doing all this shit that Avon doesn't understand and doesn't want him to do or like it's not that he doesn't want him to do it it's just that he doesn't care about it like buying up properties and trying to get legitimate like that never really seems to be important to Avon being like the kingpin of West Baltimore is important to Avon. He right. doesn't care about getting out of the game and being rich and successful. He wants yeah. to be feared and loved and admired. And re- what you said in is that important. Territory. It really is just like the west side of Baltimore too. Yes. He doesn't have like Marlowe aspirations of having of taking over the east side. He's completely content with just running the west side of Baltimore. Right. And so it's this whole like gangster versus businessman dynamic that's been building up throughout season 3 especially now that it's Avon's probably what built their success as well, that dynamic, but now it's ultimately going to lead to the downfall a little bit. I like that Avon refers to it as Stringer playing away games. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, there's some good dialogue here when Avon is kind of like the, you know, maybe, just maybe not smart enough for them out there. Yeah. You know? Like, I, it, he really kind of is calling it like it is. I do like that he references, like, Day of the Jackal or whatever when talking oh, about right. the yeah. It's like... Avon seen Day of the Jackal <laughs> on the audio commentary, which was like Pelicanos and the director Joe Chappelle. Whenever they say that line, they just both laugh, but they don't even say anything. <laughs> like they just know that it was like kind of crazy right. to throw that in there. McNulty and Freeman are working to get up on Stringer's dirty cell phone. They know what his clean number is because that is just public at this point, and he uses that oh, for yeah. like his business dealings. But they know that he has a dirty cell phone, which is tied to the drug organization, and they are on the cusp of getting it, which is kind of building up throughout this episode and kind of like the big rug being pulled out at the end of the episode moment meanwhile avon gives cuddy fifteen thousand dollars for his boxing gym which is like i do enjoy this scene when cuddy goes to like ask for it and it's like he's really kind of like dancing around and like the pitch is like really so dumb (laughs) like what he's offering avon but he goes through the whole thing and he asks for 10 grand or whatever and then avon and slim just laugh again (laughs) The, yeah, like, like you're doing all this for ten thousand. Yeah, here's fifteen grand. <laughs> yeah, because he's like showing him like the magazine. He's like, look, right. you, f- you fill this up with water or whatever. It's like Avon would care. Yeah, it's no like sure. okay, okay. So now we've kind of built up for a while. Let's talk about what really is the downfall of the Stringer and Avon relationship and the whole organization. And it's kind of funny that with all of these factors, whether it's the police. Prop Joe, Marlowe, whoever, whatever, it ends up being each other right. that takes them Well, yeah, down. I mean, that's, again, the big irony here is, like, they give each other up. It's so weird in the whole scope of the show because of how much the Marlowe storyline takes off after season three. But, like, the first three th- seasons of this show, I mean, so much of it is built around Avon and Stringer. They're such dynamic characters. Yeah. But, you know, and it's weird because when you first start watching the show, you don't even like see Avon for like a while. Oh, that's right. And that's kind of even like a point of emphasis on the show is like they don't even know what he looks like. Right. And it takes a while. But yeah, over time, their relationship and they kind of become the center of half of the story. Well, like, even you have season the two. The cop half and then you have them. Right. Yes. Because even season two, that, I think that's important about season two. In season two, they're not being investigated really. Right. You know, the focus is on this whole other story at the ports and like these murders and stuff. But we follow Avon in jail. 
We follow what Stringer's doing throughout season two. So I think it's important to note that we're following them as characters, even when they're not being investigated by the police. Yes. Stringer has provided information to Colvin regarding... Kind of nuts, huh? He, he kind of just picks up the phone and calls Colvin just at his desk. Or Cold whatever. calls him. Right. Yeah, and he picks Colvin because of the whole Amsterdam situation. Yeah, it's like, I figured you would get it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what he that doesn't means. take it to like McNulty or, or oh, any of those right, cops yeah. that he knows or whatever. Because he's trying to set up Avon for like a parole violation that's going to put him back in prison. But for like, he's hoping for like less no than more five than five years, years yeah. kind of a thing. Just get him out of the way because he's fucking this up. Right. Basically, I think from Stringer's perspective, it's like if he can have more time he can get himself to a situation where everything that he will be involved with will be legitimate and legal and he won't be tied to the drug trade anymore. And as his friend, he could possibly take Avon with him. As long as Avon isn't around to like fuck it up right. for himself. Yeah. It, it's funny because of the major crimes unit being up on his clean phone, they know that he's calling the Western District and it kind of takes a while to like right. figure out it, why. And, then, and only... I mean, it, it takes Lester, of course, Lester Freeman, who puts everything together. McNulty does it because the whole thing is like Bell wants to be an anonymous tip, obviously. Yeah. Like he doesn't want to be named as an informant or anything. Right, right. And, but it, it takes Lester Freeman to kind of put it together because even McNulty's not going to spill it at first. So we kind of get that really interesting scene between Stringer and Bunny Colvin at the graveyard. The way they shoot this is kind of cool because it seems... I mean, we see a lot of different places in Baltimore throughout the show, but this oh, seems like a different you're talking about world. This, quick aside, it is funny watching this show in a post-listening-to-serial world because, like, Leakin Park is in it. Oh, yeah, yeah, that yeah. That Patapsco State Park. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm sure one of the park and rides or whatever is in it. <laughs> the Best Buy is yeah. in it. <laughs> no, yeah. I, I, what episode? Oh, it was, like, Bunk and, like, somebody when they were looking for these bodies because they knew oh, that right. they, they were, had to be bodies somewhere. Yeah. And so they go to like Leakin, Leakin Park. Park yeah. yeah. And this is all like post that, which is also weird. I too. know. That is weird. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We talk about serial way too much. I right? like it though. <laughs> I think it's like one of the fun recurring themes on the show. <laughs> yeah. And this definitely fits. So yeah, that's like kind of a cool moonlit scene in the cemetery between two characters that have never interacted well, before actually, on the show. Well, actually, it kind of, it feels very much like a Sopranos scene. Yeah. Because this was always happening in the Sopranos, like Tony meeting with a guy from New York in like a cemetery to discuss something. Right. And Stringer is just like, this is just business because Colvin's like, why are you doing this? Well, whatever. yeah, he definitely has remorse over it. And I he, mean, ultimately, they both do for what they're doing. They view it as like a necessary Yeah, thing, I think though. Avon's kind of put in a situation, though, even though the result is worse for Stringer, but he's more in a situation where he like has to do it. Right. Whereas Stringer's kind of doing this of his own volition, really. Yeah, that's true. He provides an address to Colvin for the wartime safe house, which is going to be filled with weapons. They're going to be able to catch Avon on a parole violation easily. And kind of almost simultaneously, Avon is at the barbershop, and that's when Brother Mazone walks in. This he is, I want to point something out. One thing that I do think is weird about this show and kind of like the street level or the game or like whatever how when people want to kill someone it seems like at times they have a hard time finding them but conveniently they're able to find people for certain things yeah you know what i mean that yeah i, I mean yeah. like they can't find marlo ever but it's like we always see him hanging out at this rim shop and then that's where he is when slim and them are sitting on him 
Right. I don't know. It's just kind of interesting that, like, <laughs> you know, there's certain people that, like, can never be found, but then all of a sudden they just can be. Yeah, I mean, there's probably a certain amount of artistic license with just simplifying the story. That's true. So it's like, all right, well, Brother Muzone. I mean, I guess at this point, Avon doesn't know that Brother Muzone is back in town, and Avon is not really tied in with the Omar shit That's directly true, yeah. yet. Like, he doesn't even really realize that so Omar is... why does he need to be careful here? So, yeah, I mean, some people probably knew where he was, and Brother Muzone is a resourceful yeah, guy. Yeah, as far as we know... Brother Mazone is still tied to the Barksdale organization. Yeah, I mean, I think it makes sense that he could find That's him. true. That's a good point. He's basically like, you need to give up your boy Stringer because we know, well, I don't think he evokes, well, he does mention Omar, but not in the sense that like, Omar's going to be with me. Right. Yeah. But like, we know what the real story was now, back when you were in jail, and this needs to happen, and it's not going to be about money or anything else. Well, yeah, and basically, Brother Mazone is like, look- I'm directly tied to these people in New York who you get your connection from, your drugs from. If you don't do this for me, you can kiss that relationship goodbye. Yeah, and he also appeals to Avon's word and reputation. Yeah, and he brings up the connection with New York and everything. And basically, I always viewed this as Avon would get killed if he doesn't go along with this anyway. Yeah, or, uh, I mean, he does say, it's like, is there any amount of money that I can get to change your mind or something? And brother's like, you know, I'm not interested in money. That's not what this is about. Yeah. And ultimately, Avon knows that Stringer had D'Angelo killed and that Stringer fucked up this relationship with Brother Muzone and right. he did do this. So yeah. it's like, you know, he's not thrilled about- We are about, where we are. Yeah. He's not thrilled about giving him up, but it's like, well, you know, what are you going to do? Right. So this leads to their last night together where they're reminiscing about old times, like shoplifting and all that shit. This is like a great scene. Yeah, it's really good. And the way they shot it's really good too. A lot of like close ups on their faces with like the lights in the background kind of like they create they I don't really know how to explain it, but the the light kind of blurs. They do a great job of creating like an awkward tension too between these two. They both know that they've given each other up, but it's also like they've gone so far, so many things have happened. Right. How can your relationship just not be weird? (laughs) Like even the forced you're my brother, like, things like that. Like, it just doesn't feel genuine anymore. Tonight, I mean, I'm going to kick back and just enjoy this view. I mean, look at this shit. Can you fucking believe this? I mean, I got a crib that's overlooking the harbor. This is the same place we used to run through this motherfucker. We had every security guard in there following us. As they should have. True. True. And then there was that one time... Toy store? Hell yeah, I told your ass not to steal a badminton set. What you gonna do with a fucking net and a racket? We ain't got no yard! <laughs> you like, yo, that white boy ain't gonna jump over that counter and come chase after oh, me. He sure did, though. And he though. said, Whoa. I said, what the fuck? He was on your ass like Carl Lewis. Fist was balled up. Your ass was running too fast as you could. Punching yourself in the chest, looking all mad and shit. Ah! That shit was crazy, man. Right here, too, man. Right there. God damn. Can you imagine, man, if I had the money that I have now, man, I could have bought half this waterfront property. God damn it. Yeah, forget about that for a while, man. You know, just dream with me. We ain't got a dream no more, man. We got real shit. Real estate. 
we could touch. I can't get too fucked up tonight, man. I got some shit I gotta do overnight tomorrow. Plus, that fucking Polak, we got working for us, man. I gotta pull his coat. If he had anything to do with that Clay Davis bullshit, man, I'm gonna have to cut his money, little faggot. Time y'all meet. Uh, what time, uh, 12? Uh, I think, why? You, you need me to do something for you? Nah, I'm just seeing where you're gonna be at. You need to relax more, man. When time is right, I will. You know I don't take my work too seriously. That's right. It's just business. Us, motherfucker. Us, man. Yeah, there's a lot of restlessness to each of them in this scene, and I also was wondering if there was a certain amount of suspicion, especially on Stringer's part, when Avon like is asking him like specific times that he has to go like to the building site for that building and all oh, that stuff. Right, because yeah. he's like, Well, what time are you doing? But I think <laughs> I was thinking that it's suspicion by Stringer, but I was also thinking it Stringer doesn't want Avon to go with him because he doesn't want him gangstering up the joint or whatever, you know? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is where we get the, the quote from Stringer that precedes the episode. We'll talk about that more at the end. Right. But basically, the idea in the context of the episode, at least, is he's saying like, because I think Avon is still talking about dreaming big as if they were they're still on their way to something and Stringer's just like, dude, you know, we're here. Well, yeah, I know. I mean, he even points out, he's like, we're making so much money off legitimate business ventures. We don't really need to be involved in the drug game anymore. Yeah, and it's just for whatever reason, they're never going to see eye to eye on that issue. Right. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> you know what I mean? Like, Avon is just never going to be on that same wavelength with Stringer as to what is important. Right. So, Carcetti tours the Western District in Amsterdam and has at, a certain look of horror on his face. Yeah, at you would first say. he's kind of like, okay, like everything seems great. These corners are abandoned. Everything seems safe. They go to that town meeting. Everyone seems happy. And again, I, I used this phrase earlier, but it's like, I mean, I kind of think we're supposed to see Carcetti as a good guy, but like it's hard to tell sometimes. Can he just not see the forest through the trees? Do people get so hung up? on the idea of what's happening, like the idea of decriminalizing drugs that they just can't see the benefit of it. Well, yeah. Because it seems well, like I just the benefits like, are outweighing the negatives. Yeah, I would agree. But I I think it speaks to just like for suburban people who are at a certain level class or whatever that don't really see like drug use like this, it's just shocking. And I mean, it's hard to ever see that as being something that like can just legally happen. Overall, what do we make of Colvin's experiment? The Hamsterdam thing. The free zone thing. Does it make sense? Does it work? I think it's a house of cards. Yeah. I, I, mean, I think it's always good. I don't think there's supposed to be a definitive answer in this show. I don't right. think you're supposed to take anything one way or the other well, as if a... it's a good idea or a bad idea. It's just 
an idea. Right. And even and it has Colvin, pros and cons. I mean, even Colvin kind of talks about it like that. I don't think he ever really fully is like, this is great. Like I said, it's not, you can't just do that and then walk away. Right. I mean, it would require a lot of supervision. And, and yes, also, they had people coming in and giving out needles and giving out condoms and trying to like keep people from hurting themselves and being safer, but it would take a, a more organized effort to do that. Like you could, because you would theoretically then be responsible for people overdosing or people fighting over the money or the drugs right. or whatever. Like, you know, you're then taking on that responsibility, which is the like, problem. I don't, you don't ever feel like Colvin does this as like some like social visionary or something. It's, he's like doing it as a reaction to like the police force and the system and like, well, it, he kind of, feels I don't know like he's, if what you're saying is mutually exclusive though. Well, okay. You're yeah. saying he's not doing it as a visionary, but he's doing it as a visionary because of those things. Okay. You're saying. True. Like, he's thinking outside the box because he realizes that the way that they've been policing prior to this is not working. Does nothing. Right. A big idea of this show is someone just in whatever human ecosystem or whatever society, people fill roles. And one person leaves a role and someone else is always there to move right into that spot. And that's yeah. like a big idea behind the show. And that's kind of like the way that they're policing in Baltimore, all they do is like remove one person and then there's a the next person to go into it. Okay, so Stringer meets with the developer, Krawcheck, at the development site for one of the properties he's trying to revitalize. This is the meeting that he told Avon about. Omar and Brother Muzone are waiting there, thanks to Avon's tip. Well, they just like blast in and like, kill stringers one bodyguard immediately well yeah when they go inside though they're like you can they kind of pop up from around the corner like, oh, right. oh yeah they're yeah. here already and yeah when they walk in omar just shoots stringers bodyguard with the shotgun Krawcheck shits his pants right but he's left alive <laughs> that's pretty funny just like crawling around on the ground it's like so humiliating because his ass is like so fat <laughs> just, like, so pathetic i mean you can't blame him i mean it's be the scariest shit ever but yeah it's just like oh god and bell like does the crazy thing from the movies where he runs upstairs right yeah yeah i think he goes doesn't he well he, he tries to go to like a back exit but it's barricaded which omar and brother muzon already knew right and so yeah he ends up going upstairs and then there ends up being nowhere to go because brother muzon is waiting and Right before the big pivotal moment, Omar does reveal that Avon gave Stringer up. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, like, kind of unnecessary, but... Well, it'll kind of play into episode 12 right, when McNulty true. shows Avon who the informant was, yes. and it was Stringer. <laughs> I guess it's just laying it out there for us even more like, oh, hey, they gave each other up. But it's so that they both know. And so Stringer is killed, which is pretty shocking at the time when you're going through these episodes in order because by this point at the end of season three i would say that stringer was one of the main characters for sure oh absolutely in the top like two or three and of like who had screen time who was considered like a major force yeah show. it's a huge shock i mean and he's always had like a tough exterior so like to see him in like this kind of moment of weakness like pre-death where he's like making sort of like promise like I can be a better friend of y'all alive. Yeah, but he doesn't get like No, too that's true. He goes anything. pretty quick to just be in like and Then he's just like, "Oh, if you he's like just get on with it, motherfucker." And then right. they shoot him before he even finishes the word. I ain't strapped. Yeah. 
Cause if it is, man, I could be a better friend to y'all alive. You still don't get it, do you? Huh? This ain't about your money, bro. The boy gave you up. That's right. And we ain't had to touch his ass neither. Seem like I can't say nothing to change your minds. Well, get on with it, motherfucker. It's just kind of like when you're watching it and you're like, well, where does it go from here? At that moment, it's hard to envision what the rest of the show will be like, especially when you got into the show later. Well, I'll tell you, and you what. know, there's five seasons and you're like, well, what comes after this? One of the things that like really ate at me, because like first time through, you know, like I said, by the time I hit season three, I'm like so invested in Avon Stringer, like their whole like crew down to like Bodie. Like I- I'm-, I'm just in on like their whole storyline and what. I was really rooting against Marlo and his crew and like really kind of pulling for Avon to like win this war. And one of the parts that really was like a gut punch for me was like that Marlo and his crew were able to kind of like take credit for the Stringer kill too, right. which yeah. like ring, you know, cause the importance of that like rings out in the streets as well. Yeah. And it's like that, that was something that I was like, oh, you know, <laughs> and then in, in, including like what happens in the next episode with Avon and they finally have the high ground on Marlo and are, it seems like maybe are able to like going to be able to take him out. And then, of course, right. cops bust in at that moment. Yeah. And I do think if you want to go like big picture with the show and where it goes for four and five and by the end of five, you kind of realize that it doesn't matter. Right. <laughs> Which is the point of The Sopranos and it's the point of The Wire and it ends up being like kind of. I'm going to get into that in a second even more with the death of Stringer, but it comes up with the death of Omar as well at the end of season five, where it's just like, what was all of this for? Oh, right. It's a theme in season three because McNulty has those dealings with D'Agostino, which happens to be the campaign advisor for Carchetti, but he has that like secret sexual relationship with her. Yeah. And he talks about it with Kima about how like she makes me feel like I, what I do doesn't matter. Like I'm playing this pointless well, game she does for have a penny any stakes belittling quality but like that idea that what they're doing to the real world is meaningless oh, like right. who cares yeah. about these stupid well, drug mean, it's, dealers it's, it's from the opening of the show when mcnulty basically has to go kind of start some shit up by talking to this judge about who avon barksdale is when really like no one cared yeah, because, uh, I mean, and it's it's a commentary on class in terms of how much money these people have or, like, a commentary on race, certainly. But, like, people these... don't care that they're killing each other. Oh, they, yeah, Like, right. people, like, living in suburbia or out of these areas that aren't dealing in this kind of stuff, it's like, who, like most of them aren't going to care at all. 
And so it's like you come back and whether it's Stringer or Omar or Marlo or Avon or whoever, it's like nobody cares what they're doing, who right. killed who. They, they're it like doesn't matter. These legendary names amongst like some subset. But the idea is there's just so many different versions of that, <laughs> you know, like in various societies. At the end of The Sopranos, when Uncle Junior's he's lost his mind, basically, and Tony's trying to remind him that he once ran new jersey a major crime family and yeah. he's just like oh that's nice it's just like what does it all mean <laughs> right, yeah. in the end or whatever and you circle back to what major crimes wiretap was up to at the time and they seem to have confirmation that stringer was still planning on having senator davis killed although i don't think that they know that that's what right. they were talking yes. about exactly and they finally had him they were going to be able to get him and then it's like he'll never uh, know and, and, and just that, like mcnulty inconsolable Right, because the beginning of episode 12, through the window, up where Stringer was killed, through that window, you have all of these disinterested cars passing in the background while McNulty sits and stares off into nothing as Stringer's bloody body just lies there growing cold. And I just love that picture because you have all those cars passing. Those cars are filled with people that don't care right. about this at all. And this and it's was like, like McNulty's like and big, what would have been his big moment. Yeah, and he's just realized, like, because Freeman gives him that speech at some point throughout the show about, like, where does all this lead for you? Like, what do you think right. you're going to yeah. get in the end? Some gold watch. Well, that's, I mean, that's the Nobody thing. cares that you did this. Freeman's, like, almost as bad as McNulty, but has, like, some perspective. Yeah, he understands that the job is just a job. Right. Like, it's not going to save you well yeah whatever. well i mean mcnulty when they are finally going to take down avon due to the tip that stringer gave mcnulty makes a comment like it, it doesn't make up for stringer and freeman's like well it'll do <laughs> well yeah and he even says when they see that stringer first is calling the western district to talk to colvin and he's like and freeman jokes like do you think he's turning himself in and he's and mcnulty's like if he did i would never forgive him or whatever oh right you would think that the point of the police is just <laughs> yeah. to get someone to stop and to be like that would be great if he was turning himself in it's like no no no, i have to get him I well have to... yeah mcnulty's got issues you know he is the job that beginning of episode 12 is just really great Speaking... it really drives home what all of this means going back to the serial thing one more time <laughs> Jesus. I, just, I love the, the like these baltimore homicide detectives though like you hear on serial it's like ritz and mcgillivary or whatever and it's just like this whole thing with like these irish detectives in baltimore you know, like the Irish wake is very much like a big part of this show. Yeah. The title of the episode, Middle Ground, refers to something Mayor Royce says. He actually uses the phrase when he's talking about trying to find a way to keep Amsterdam alive while avoiding a huge political backlash. But it also speaks to the compromise between Omar and Brother Muzone, as well as that moonlight meeting between Stringer and Colvin. So right. a lot of people are trying to find middle ground here, and unfortunately for Stringer, he's kind of like the odd man out. More importantly than the episode title, I want to circle back to that quote from Stringer, we ain't got a dream no more, man, which we saw at the beginning of the episode, and then he says to Avon on their last night together. Obviously, in the context of the show, you can be like, well, he's saying, we're here, we've arrived, we don't have to dream anymore because we have it. Right. And so that's kind of quite literally what he's saying, but kind of that double meaning like the ironic thing is like he's actually saying we ain't got a dream no more man which like i said means we don't have to dream anymore but yeah, yeah, could also mean we don't have a dream anymore meaning it's over that's true 
and it's kind of like that double meaning which fits in with what the episode is because like the dream is over once kind of probably once avon found out what stringer did to d'angelo oh right yeah the whole thing started crumbling earlier partnership yeah and the dream is no longer a a viable option because they're just they've drifted too far apart they're too far apart they can't reconcile the the dream anymore the dream is too different there's no one singular thing between them it's avon is so concerned with this petty bullshit as what stringer sees and stringer is off in a world because you know in different points in the show we know that stringer was going to college classes right yeah He's like taking like his lessons from like business classes and spinning it into like strategies for the drug market. Yeah, and even though Stringer humiliated himself a little bit with the Clay Davis bullshit, you had the sense that as long as he didn't actually kill Clay Davis, he could have recovered from this and still it it kind of seemed to me that he needed to like go a few rounds with trying to get these kind of grants and all that shit and then right. he would have eventually been there. Because well, like, if we've learned anything about Baltimore, him being like a drug dealer and corrupt is not really going to matter. Like, no, no. All, everyone's corrupt. He would eventually have gotten his shot. Oh, yeah. It. Like, he's well on his way. Really, how much property do they own? Like, when Avon gets out of jail and they have that party for him and he has, like, this waterfront, right, crazy luxury condo. The fact that they own all these properties, it's like, yeah, why are, why are they messing around with drugs at all? And when you see, like, Bell's, like, where he lives... Which is like a big reveal for like yeah. McNulty. He's like, who the fuck was I chasing? Right. I don't know. It's pretty nuts. And that's like kind of the, the sad thing with, with Stringer is he really was on his way. And yeah, and I mean, Avon was his kind of... In a sense, though, but he did have the tragic flaw of not being able to fully shake off those gangsta feelings because right. he wanted to kill Clay Davis rather than deal with it like a businessman, which oh, is what sure, Avon yeah. was telling him to do, right. which is funny, which is the ironic thing because Avon was telling him, like, no, you can't do that. And Avon is the one that Stringer was annoyed with for being too much like yeah. that. I was kind of trailing off there because I was thinking about, there's like this great YouTube clip where they just compile like all the great quotes from The Wire and like all the great, just like funny moments and right. memorable quotes and it, there's just like so many good ones. I can remember, I think it's in season two whenever Stringer's trying to operate everything. Like, he has meetings with minutes and everything when he's addressing all these other drug dealers. And they would have, like, groups of people. <laughs> like, the one dude, like, stands up and is like, does the chair recognize that we look like a bunch of punk-ass bitches? <laughs> Stringer just, like, slaps the microphone. He's like, motherfucker. <laughs> There's just, like, so many great moments in this show. I mean, that's the thing, like. It's good. It's so well written. Like every moment matters, but there's just like so many like funny, like in like poignant moments throughout it. Yeah. The one character, though, that annoys me a little bit as far as like what they say, not that like it's annoying, but like Prop Joe. Okay. I mean, yeah. He, he reminds I me. I was thinking Kima. <laughs> she like bothers me at times. <laughs> yeah. Kima is annoying, but like Prop Joe speaks like Ron Perlman in Sons of Anarchy. He's, right. Like, he talks in a way that like. No he's one would actually ever very talk cartoony, like that. yeah. Like he's always got some expression to say, right? Maybe every once in a while, and then you would actually see that as wisdom. But if you do that every time you speak, then you no longer see it as wisdom. You just see it as annoying. But I do <laughs> love the way, and like the wire kind of d- does this throughout the series. They introduce like one character kind of like offhand in like a scene, mm-hmm. and then you don't think much of it. You think that I'll probably never see that person again, and then they end up being someone that's like prominently featured like well yeah it's way later it's very similar to game of thrones in that characters in the background can mean things 
things that happen off camera mean things. Right. You have to pay attention to what people say because not everything is shown. True. Yeah. Which is also very similar to Game of Thrones. And like things change. Like you said, yeah, there's one character that you don't think is a big deal, but then like they grow into this big thing. Oh, right. Because like I think the first time you see Snoop, it's like a throwaway. She's oh, just yeah. like in the car with somebody. Right. Or and like Marlo says something to her. When he's like, your turn, girl. And she's like, about time. That's like only lines of dialogue most of the season. It's a great episode of a great season That's of television. Right, yeah. And yeah, I mean, if if you haven't watched The Wire and tried to listen to this episode, I feel yeah, like it'd probably be pretty confusing. Wow. Yeah. There's so many characters and like so many different motives and things going on. But if you for some reason, if you're just a fan of us and you've made it this long, I would say like, way to go. Yeah, we've kind of spoiled some information, but even knowing that kind of stuff, it's still worth the journey. It's still a great show. I mean, if anything, I feel like if I listened to this, I would be now more interested in seeing The Wire if I hadn't. Because I'd be I, like, wow, yeah, it sounds like I there's a lot of I can remember like, when I first started watching it, like you said, we both went through the Netflix discs. So I think right. I may have had like one or two of them at a time. And so you put on those first three episodes or whatever on the disc, and you're kind of like, I remember being like, what is this? Like even oh, after yeah, the right. first few episodes, I was just like, "What is this show?" Like everyone says, this is so amazing. I'm not really getting what this is. I like, can remember it seemed it was not what I expected at all. You know, my parents had HBO when I lived at home while the show was on, and I can remember. I think I watched just a random episode on demand, and I was just like not into it at all. But going back and starting to watch the discs, I was like. This is nothing. I like. I couldn't. The one time I tried to watch it, I retained nothing. I couldn't remember like what any of the characters were like or anything. Like my vision of it was completely different than what I ended up seeing when I watched it again. Yeah, I can remember like having HBO maybe is uh, a year or so earlier than when I actually started watching it and seeing like some random stuff. And I was. I think the description of an episode that I read led me in a whole other direction because it, it used oh, yeah. words that like may have made sense for that episode but like for the show in general didn't paint the picture because it probably had something to do with like political campaign or something right, you know yeah. like and you're like okay and so then you start watching the show and you're like oh this is about drugs and ball you know what I mean like I, well, I didn't really know anything about oh, it yeah, when yeah. I started it so I was like really kind of confused the wire makes sense as a title once you see it but when you first start watching it you're like what like, I don't know. The Wire just led me to a whole other Yeah, well, the way process. that I... Um, I was probably thinking, like, when I first heard about Nixon show, or something, right. like, wiretaps <laughs> like that. I don't when know. When I first heard about the show, I mean, one of the things that it was said was, it's a show where, like, no character is safe. I didn't even know anything like that. Right, and I was like, oh, wow. So I'm thinking, like, cops are going to die, you know, which it didn't Well, really... Kima does get shot. Is that season one? Yeah. yeah so, yeah. like, when she got shot, I was thinking she was definitely dead. Yeah. Because that was, like, my impression going in was that, like, major characters died. Right. Which now it's, like, it almost feels like not really when you talk about the level of, like, Game of Thrones. But right. Still. Although I almost feel like, I know what you're saying, but at the same time, I almost feel like they went to, like, the cops getting shot angle, like, one too many times in The Wire. Because I think, like, a couple, a few get shot throughout it. I don't know, it just... It seems yeah. very high to me. Right, that's probably true. Especially when Presbolewski kills a cop. Well, yeah, that's nuts. <laughs> All right, we got to wrap this up. <laughs> that's enough spoilers. <laughs> so, yeah, The Wire's great. Check it out. Reminder to everyone to follow us on Twitter, at CreativeSpod. Subscribe on iTunes. Your New Year's resolution is to tell a friend about the show. I think, like, someday we should try to find, like, a fun way to revisit some of The Wire material and, like, a give us a second or something. 
Oh without yeah, without necessarily doing an episode, like doing something. I think else. like a like, lot of the shows that we've done will come back at some okay, point. Okay, yeah. I mean, I do love The Wire. Like I said, I mean, I've rewatched the series all the way through like four times. There's just certain is- shows, and The Wire is one of them where. In our format, it feels hard to True. get into it. Well, like, there's so many things. Usually, when you're thinking about it, okay, you do a movie, it's like an hour and a half or two hours. That's longer than an episode of television. It's not this like long form storytelling where but they're like, like weaving things together from like season one to season five. Yeah, but with shows that are this complicated, it's like you have to do so much preparation. I, I had to re familiarize myself well, it's weird, with all like, of season three and four. For someone who hasn't watched The Wire, this is like way too much information. If you have watched The Wire, it's just like, oh, they didn't bring up this. They didn't bring up this. They didn't, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, Cuddy's in this episode a lot, and we barely mentioned him being in this. And I like the story like of Cuddy, Cuddy but... Cuddy's story, like, the thread to his storyline kind of runs out at a certain point. Yeah. You know? That happens to a few characters where, like, they don't really get killed and they don't go to jail, but they kind of just fade to the background right. of the whole thing. So you can, I guess you kind of have to assume that... The, whatever you saw them doing last they I always love do. at the end of the seasons of The Wire where they kind of do like the montages of like yeah. checking in on everything and like things changing and like people moving to different positions and like how things transition <laughs> so that'll do it wire. for this one anything else? no we'll see you next time alright the car lights that by the house and the yanks they were within and a tanker boys they but were with a pen When we turned and shook As we had a look In a room where the dead man lay So big Jim Dwyer Made his last trip to the shores Where his father's laid But fifteen minutes later We had our first taste of whiskey his uncle's giving lectures on ancient Irish history The men all started telling jokes and the women they got frisky With five o'clock in the evening every bastard there was pesky Very well gone away, there's nothing left to say Farewell to New York City boys, the Boston NPA He took them out with a well on cloud and I often heard him say I'm a freeborn man of the USA He fought the champ in Pittsburgh and he slashed him to the ground on tiny Tartanella and only went one round He never had no time for rights for drink or dice or hoard But he never threw a fight when the fight was right So they sent him to the war Very well gone away, there's nothing left to say With Stancher Joe and an Aaron Gomer loves in America The calling of the rosary, Spanish wine from far away I'm a freeborn man of the USA Love you, I always did, I always will Fairly well gone away There's nothing left to say But to say adieu to your eyes as blue As the words are in the bay To beat you toward a man of war Who is often heard to say I'm a freeborn man of the USA I'm a freeborn man of the USA I'm a freeborn man of the USA
think that we should go out anymore. I mean, I, I just think it's over. Okay. It's over again. No, not again. This is it. This is the last time. It's for real. You've heard of a no-win situation, haven't you? No. Really, no? You've never heard of one? Vietnam? This? 